Hey, Risto here at George Mason University. I'm here with Dr. Corey Dixon from Rowan University uh, to discuss his article titled Senior Physical Education Teacher Education Majors Reflections on Teaching at a Youth Development Center. Um, that was just published in JTPE. Uh, you can find the full site uh, on uh, the article notes. Uh, Corey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, definitely a pleasure to be here and to be able to um, have access to speak on this platform. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're you're doing interesting stuff. I, I really enjoyed the read. Um, it related a lot to the work that I've done with uh, Ray Frederick uh, on the REACH program. So, uh, But you pushing this into that cultural competence, culturally responsive practices was something that we are just getting into. Uh, so it was really cool to uh, see kind of like an overlap there. Um, but let me let me ask you this. You you start the article by giving kind of like an overview of the social gaps in our educational system. And we obviously mm-hmm. see in across the U.S. ethnic diversity increasing amongst our students, but it hasn't really pushed the diversity of teachers and uh, the teaching force continues to be predominantly white, something like 80 something percent in the latest figures the last couple of years. So can you talk about how this affects students of color and then, you know, how does this affect our PEAT programs? Uh, absolutely. Um, and you're perfectly right. You know, with our teacher pool remaining uh, relatively consistent over the course of the past several years um, is nowhere near growing at the rate our student student population is as, as it pertains to diversity. Mm-hmm. It's just it's not even close. And so um, I think some of the biggest consequences we see in the space of education um, when we're talking about that cultural gap is, um, well, I can say that I think that list was probably endless on some of the you know, consequences we see there. But teacher expectations, I think, is really huge. We see that research shows us that uh, teacher expectations of students is, is, a, is really important. Um, it's a big uh, indicator of student success, um, just interactions between teachers and students, I think, are strained oftentimes when there's no common ground of uh, culture there. I think the way um, educators discipline students can be a factor that's impacted um, by that cultural gap. The way we write and implement curriculums and, and even just representation for students, students to be able to look uh, towards the front of the class or, you know, on their Zoom screens, depending on what the scenario is, and see representation to see themselves um, in certain regards, I think is some of the things that we kind of miss out on when when that gap is not addressed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you, in the paper, you talk about cultural competence, culturally responsive practices, culturally relevant pedagogy, uh, the cultural relevance cycle by Flory McCautry. Um, can you talk about these terms and kind of explain explain to listeners what what do these terms mean and how how do they relate to uh, teacher education and physical education specifically? Sure, um, you know, like like with your previous question, we're talking about this gap between student and teachers, and so if I could generally and just plainly summarize the terms that you brought up: cultural competence, culturally relevant sustaining pedagogies and cultural relevant cycle we're generally looking at ways that we can better prepare our teachers to interact 
teach and create that environment of learning with students of diverse populations. And that's kind of a simplified explanation. Um, but, but that's just how, you know, I conceptualize it. And so looking at culturally relevant pedagogy specifically, um, Gloria Lassen Billings kind of established uh, this theory, um, kind of built upon other other really culturally relevant works, but generally we're looking at three tenets when we're talking about culturally relevant pedagogy or CRP, which is what the acronym is there. We're looking at academic success, cultural competency, and critical consciousness. And so each three of these tenets are, play a really important role in the interactions we see between students, teachers, and how kind of learning takes place. And so to quickly break down some of those tenets we're taught, if you're not familiar, um, if any of the listeners may not be familiar with this with this theory, is academic success is just referring to the intellectual growth that's happening like in that classroom setting. So when we're talking about instruction, talking about different learning experiences, um, and the students being able to experience success, right? That they're actually learning. Cultural competence is more so that recognition and appreciation of not only one's own culture, the culture of the teacher, but the culture of the students that they're teaching, you know? And so um, I think sometimes when we talk about social justice oriented work or culturally relevant work, uh, kind of the picture we see in our heads is white teacher, black and brown students and, 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 and making that work. Mm-hmm. But it's also that balance of a, you know, a teacher having an appreciation and understanding of their own culture in addition to the culture of the students, you know, no matter what that makeup looks like. And then lastly, looking at that critical consciousness piece, we want educators to be able to develop and understand um, social justice and have a commitment to social justice, kind of seeing how um, the things that we're talking about take place not only in the classroom, but outside the classroom as well. And this is specifically important for physical education um, because it's that same learning environment. If we talk about marginalized populations and marginalized people, I think physical education is one of those subjects that's marginalized in schools. And so being in a space where you have um, that level of interaction with students, if we're talking about uh, kindergarten through maybe sixth grade and some high schools, you're interacting with the majority of students um, in the school, you know, whether it, rather than just one particular class. And so I think it's really important that we seek to develop the cultural competence and cultural relevance of what our teachers are teaching in yeah. physical education. Yeah. And I, uh, I remember I, I took a class at teachers college on culturally responsive pedagogy. And, you know, we were focused in on, you know, Gloria Latson Billings and Geneva Gay's work. And that was like the, the foundation of the course. And, you know, I was right. at that point, I was, I was a white teacher teaching in central Harlem in a community that was very foreign to, what where I grew up and just having those three tenants and understanding it and that's part of like it's so important for us as teacher educators and Pete to uh, expose our students to this framework so they can start looking at it and I think one of the you know she starts off specifically with academic success and talking about how you know teachers who are culturally or are using the CRP principle demand academic success it's not that okay we're in this specific school so let's drop the bar because they're not going to attain it it's the bar is here the bar is high 
whether you're at school X or school Y, the bar is here and we're going to achieve that. And I think that's one of the things that you talked about in your paper too of, you know, you can't go in and just say, oh, the content's too hard for them. Let me dumb it down. Like, why? Because you don't know the students or you don't know the, um, you know, community or like you, you're making these assumptions. And I think it's so, so important to, to bring that academic success part of it out, out as well. Absolutely. Like we've mentioned before, those teacher expectations, you know, it could be a game changer for the experience that the students have. And that is definitely one of the things that came up in, in this particular study I did where, and I know we'll kind of get more into that a little bit later, but the students had expectations that um, my students, the teacher educators, had the expectation um, that the students that they were going to teach uh, didn't have an appreciation for learning, they didn't really care, they weren't going to respect uh, them as educators, and that you know, that, that there were certain things that they didn't want to teach because they felt as though it would be too hard. And we're talking about teachers, uh, future teachers who hadn't even had any classroom experience, assuming that their content would be too difficult um, for other individuals to understand just simply off the premise of these students' yeah. contact. And that's, and that's totally unacceptable. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's talk about what you actually did in the study can you give? Can you talk about what the youth uh, development center was? How what class your student teachers were were doing or uh, were were taking? How you? I'm assuming that you were the lead researcher and you you were teaching the class at the same time. Is that right? Sure. Yeah, that's exactly exactly right. And so, um, essentially, what I did in a nutshell is I took uh, my secondary methods course. Um, and extended their field experience opportunities. Historically, um, this course was taught in such a way where there was two main field experiences. There was a lecture portion of the course, and then uh, the second half of the course was more so focused on uh, field experiences. And so generally, uh, we would take these students to a local junior high school and a local high school. And so the junior high school was very... Uh, reflective of the culture of the university um, that the pre-service teachers were coming out of. Um, very well resourced, well staffed, um, and had a had a, work, a pretty good working relationship with the university where having students do field experiences was a relatively common practice. Um, the high school they would visit was a little bit further out. Uh, the students there were definitely more diverse. However, the culture of their physical education program was relatively poor. So we saw a lot of um, what, what research calls those teacher coaches where the emphasis was, was their team, was the sport they were coaching rather than the physical education classes. And so pretty much our students going there almost became, um, you know, a break for them, right, to just kind mm -hmm. of go watch film while our students, you know, did whatever they could yeah. manage to do. <laughs> and so yeah. – um, I took this opportunity in teaching this course to incorporate an experience teaching at a youth development center. Um, I had personal experience teaching at the youth development center. Um, at this point, what would have been over four years uh, teaching physical education to secondary age students at this youth development center. And in short, the youth development center is a residential treatment facility. Um, where students would go for a multitude of reasons. Some of these students would get in trouble at school. Um, some was having issues at home. So we had a DHR 
human services, foster care uh, students were kind of in this mix. And each of these students were uh, receiving some sort of therapeutic um, treatment for either behavioral or learning disabilities of some type. And so it was a very unique uh, population of students. Um, this was this treatment facility was residential in the fact that the students lived there, they lived on campus, and they would be assigned to go uh, for anywhere from three months to six months. And uh, depending on their progression through the program, uh, that could be extended into years. So um, forgive my naive question here. What is the difference between this type of youth development center and juvenile hall? Like what I That's what I would question. think as a juvenile hall. That's a great question. Um, housed at housed on this youth development center campus, there was a youth detention center that was pretty much what you would consider a stereotypical juvenile detention facility. Where you know where there's jumpsuits, uh, slides, cells. Um, students that are very much on lockdown. These students were sent um, typically awaiting trial for criminal charges. However, the majority of the students at the Youth Development Center um, were not necessarily being detained um, for legal issues, but being um, recommended uh, this treatment based on uh, different behavior or family circumstances. So it was more therapeutic in nature rather than um, uh, legal system oriented, if okay. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm assuming for the pre-service teachers being in this non-traditional setting, they probably didn't or wouldn't have otherwise gone there. Um, how significant was this as a pedagogical, pedagogical experience for them in learning the culturally responsive pedagogy? Absolutely. So these students, the majority of the students uh, or the student teachers that uh, were taking a part of this were native to the local area however had no no clue that this place even existed mm -hmm. and so the interesting or, or one of the main features of understanding the project in the paper it kind of helps me to kind of explain what i didn't do so initially i did not present any culturally relevant specific materials to these students um, for them to implement while in this space the main part of them coming into this space was to give them an exploratory opportunity to, for one, be exposed to uh, diverse student populations, and also for me to be able to understand the way they process that without um, a specific social justice or culturally relevant agenda being made explicit. I think inherently to the way I teach, um, I teach in a way that supports um, social justice and in a way teaching in a way that's culturally relevant. But one of the things that I also understood is there are uh, student body at that current university was pretty, um, pretty well identified as Southern conservative um, upper middle class students. And so the uh, introduction of culturally relevant pedagogy specifically social justice oriented work specifically uh, was a concern for me as a young uh, teacher, right? I was like, well, because I, I could see from my own experience how ugly uh, teacher evaluations can be for students, uh, you know, for, for instructors who are trying to do that type of thing. So I'm considering, okay, I want to teach this content. 
I want to better prepare these students to work with these populations. What what does it take? What does it look like? What common ground can we find? And so kind of doing that in an exploratory way um, kind of created that space. So the students went out, the the student teachers went out to teach at the Youth Development Center just with the expectation of we're going to do traditional uh, PE content, the things you've been learning since you've been in this program, and we're going to do it here. And let's see um, how that plays out. And we, we wrote a similar paper with uh, David Dom and Dominique Banville on our experience when we, we were looking at the coaches' experience at REACH. But our, our students, we were in a state school, so a lot of our students were first generation. We had Latinx students mm-hmm. that were going in and teaching in a you know, 90% uh, Latino, Latina uh, school. And so we, we didn't necessarily have that that kind of white savior mentality. But, and I don't think you talked about this very specifically, but I wanted to check to see what your perception was. And, you know, you, you, I think you had seven, seven white, uh, one African-American, I think if I recall that right. Um, Mm -hmm. But so did you fear that that was going to be like a, hey, there's going to be this, you know, we're going to go in and teach these kids the right right way to do things instead of, you know, because you, you didn't start with, and neither did we, we didn't start necessarily with that culturally responsive pedagogy. We kind of started with, hey, let's get this experience of them working in the school. So were you afraid of that or did that ever come up? Absolutely. I think that was my biggest concern. Um, heading into this experience, what I did not want to happen was take um, these white students into this very diverse space and simply reinforce negative stereotypes or expectations or perceptions that they may have had come into this space. Um, and so to combat that, what I did was I, I put them in scenarios as often as possible to level the playing field. And the Youth Development Center itself kind of helps out with that because in one instance, bringing the students into this space, humbled them a bit in the fact that they were very apprehensive and kind of nervous, right? Because they're kind of their thought processes. Are we going to a, a jail or are these students, you know, what's going to happen, right? So they were understood that they were not to be um, considered, that they didn't really see themselves as just experts coming into this space. So they were, you know, had, had that sense of apprehension. And I think that kind of helped the situation out a bit. And also, I would incorporate activities that helped kind of close that gap between teacher and student. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I did is um, the groups at the Youth Development Center, students were uh, relatively smaller than what you would see in a traditional school setting. So one example of, of an activity we did is that any time or a practice that we had, so any time we had uh, one or two of our student teachers leading a class, the rest of the student teachers would participate in the class as students, so right alongside uh, the residents of the Youth Development Center. And doing that really helped kind of level the playing field so they were able to kind of take off uh, that teacher mask or or that white savior identity and to truly uh, try to incorporate themselves into the students' learning um, experiences and their social groups. And that was kind of, it had multiple benefits of doing things that way, but one was definitely kind of leveling that playing field, giving students the opportunity um, to work closely with the residents of the Youth Development Center to kind of create 
more of a relationship there. Mm-hmm. That was at least the goal, and I think it kind of came out some of the results that that took place to some degree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you talked in your first theme that you know the pre-service teachers were feeling nervous. They were uncertain, and they're concerned about their experience that they were about to have. Um, how did that actually play out? What did did they, you know, did those fears, were they reinforced or did they kind of have a different experience than they, they assumed? Uh, that's a great question. Um, initially going in, as you mentioned, this, the students were apprehensive. They had a lot of uh, questions and concerns heading into this space. And so uh, one of the things I, I definitely was worried about was reinforcing those stereotypes. What I did every day was had ours had 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 my students journal to kind of just express what they thought um, was significant. So I try not to do too many specific prompts, but just kind of describe how things went today. Like, tell me what you noticed, what did you see, how did things generally go? And one of the ways I tried to prep the students without very specific um, CRP or social justice um, scaffolding was to talk about how, as a teacher, our biggest responsibility is to seek to to serve the students uh, that we're teaching. I, I made it very clear to them, hey, I'm here to teach you, but this te- the t- I see teaching as a form of service. I want to create an environment where I can learn from you all just like you all learn from me. So creating that um, relationship with my students and then encouraging them to do the same with their students kind of, I, I feel like, put them in a position to where they were looking to see, okay, how can I serve this community, not from a place that these students are in a deficit, but simply because it's my job to do so. Mm-hmm. And so hope, trying to level the playing field there. Um, and then so as the data started coming back, as I'm talking to them, as I'm watching them go through this process, starting almost from day one, putting them in proximity with the students to mm-hmm. learn alongside them from myself and from their um colleagues help them to kind of develop those relationships where they recognize really quickly that these students were extremely smart uh, willing to engage when there was opportunity to do so Um, you know I had one student for example who noticed that it didn't seem as though the residents of the facility wanted to participate in his lesson and by showing him and but since his his colleagues were participating in the lesson they're able to tell him hey your lesson sucked you know what I'm saying? The mm-hmm. stuff you were asking them to do and the stuff you were asking us to do was ridiculous. Like yeah. it, it was just, you know, it was, it was, it didn't make sense. We didn't want to do it either, you know, much less would a, you know, a 15, 16 year old want to do it. And so being able to get that type of feedback, I think really helped them to see themselves um, as a, as a servant to just to the field of, of education, but also to recognize, man, these students are really capable. Um, their feedback is valuable and, you know, hey, th- these students are, in in many regards, similar to the other students that I've come into contact with. Yeah, and I'm I'm a huge proponent of the service learning approach. I just feel like putting college students in the gym together and peer teaching is just not realistic. Uh, it's it's way tougher. You put them in in front of you know a bunch of sixth graders that are not shy of ta- saying that your lesson sucked. It's it's right. different type of feedback. And and I think, you know, you, you brought this up earlier about you didn't want to reinforce those stereotypes. And when I first 
got into service learning research and starting to implement my classes in in Title I schools and in Fullerton, um, you know, there was a big push by, you know, the people who are doing service learning research in our university of saying, you know, if you're not in there for a significant amount of time, all you're going to do is you're going to go in, they're going to look at it and go, just what I thought, these thugs, these whatever, you know, and they're going to just have these stereotypes that they went in. They don't have enough time to break that stereotype and build a relationship. So you're actually doing more harm than good if you don't, act, you know, fully integrate them in as a continuous thing, which it seems like you were able to do. Um, so how, and this is kind of a logistical question, how are you able to do that when, because one of my issues in, in teaching the university classes is, you know, I have a class Tuesday, Thursday, 10 to eleven fifteen, And then I know that they have my colleagues class from 1130 to 1245. How are you able to take them to a off-campus event and then they come back to school? Like, how did that logistically work? And so it's kind of like similar to what you described where a, a colleague of mine, we're teaching um, similar courses. So we're teaching a primary methods and secondary methods in the same semester. And the way the courses were set up, they were subsequent uh, to one another. And so we had the opportunity to collaborate, to utilize that class time more effectively. So let's just say, for example, you know, you and I were teaching classes, similar classes in the same department, my classes from 10 to 12. And then the next class is is from, you know, 1230 to two mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. We can collaborate and say, well, hey, rather than having students come to my class or your class every day, um, maybe on Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, the students can be expected to stay with me throughout this amount of time. And then on Wednesdays and Mondays, they can stay with you. So you have a bigger block of time. It just simply may right. be less frequent. So being able to collaborate with colleagues who are like minded and, and have similar goals and objectives for the students is really helpful. And I know that might not be an opportunity or a luxury that, that everyone has, but it's definitely worth investigating and collaborating with your colleagues to see if that could be a possibility. Yeah. Awesome. Um, how do you how do you find like the students compared this non-traditional setting to what they have experienced or what they you know thought of traditional settings? Were they were they talking about the differences between the the two settings? Absolutely, and surprisingly, you know, when it by the time uh, the end of the semester came about. Uh, the students have preferred being at the Youth Development Center. The, some of the biggest differences that they noticed weren't necessarily with the students, but with the structure and the resources. So at the Youth Development Center, um, it's a state-funded facility, so the resources are not always, um, you know, as as high-end as what they may be even at a public school. And so, and even so, when when the resources are allocated to the facility. Um, it's not often that those resources trickle down to the physical education program mm-hmm. that they have in place. And so the students were able to see relatively quickly, like, these students would could participate more if they had more equipment. And so you see the mind shift shifting from these students aren't participating because they're, they don't care about education and they're lazy to, to a small step forward to say, you know what? I think the environment that they're in might actually have something to do with it rather than them just being mm-hmm. horrible human beings. 
And so kind of creating that space. And, and one of the things that makes kind of all of this work is having a, uh, you know, an, an adequate gatekeeper, an instructor who's willing to, you know, walk through this process and, and bring these things to light so that these things don't get reinforced. I don't think that these opportunities, as much as I would want to encourage other instructors to do it without the appropriate mindset and skill set um, necessary, that it, it could be, uh, you know, a negative thing. But yeah. our students are able to be in this context and see the reality of the situation and because that's one of the benefits of the youth development itself as a setting. Um, just the nuances are so exaggerated and in your face that you cannot help some, but to see a connection between student performance and the equipment facilities they have, for example. Yeah. So one of the, one of the quotes that I, that I read that really stuck with me was this uh, one of your pre-service teachers who said, you know, really changed my philosophy. Uh, my philosophy used to be do it my way or we're going to have problems. And he's like, that, that doesn't work. And so can you talk about how they, how the students, you know, change some of their teaching philosophies or the way they looked at teaching differently? Or, you know, the other, the other thing that came up was that, you know, you, you wrote in that paper, a couple of the assumptions that they had and you, these journals where they were saying like, oh yeah, like, I know these students are coming up from a rough background and, you know, their mom's not home or dad's not home or one's addicted to drugs or, you know, all these other things. But then there's one sentence and it says, however, these were not based on their conversations with them. So they had these assumptions of why those students are there. So did those change? Did their teaching philosophies change? Did they look at teaching differently? Absolutely. Um, the, the comment that you, that you pulled out there was made by a student whose perspective was very much so, I'm going to tell you what to do and you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the, the student could, the, this student teacher could almost have been considered having almost like a bully personality. Um, and also a very just coaching based mindset where coaches just, Hey, I'll tell my players to do this and they do that. But physical education is, is completely separated from that. And I think a lot of physical educators, you know, they kind of miss that along the way and they kind of expect to run a physical education class the same way you would run a high school practice. And, mm -hmm. and that's just not how it plays out. And so one of the things that this student teacher came into contact with immediately was where were some of the residents of the youth development center who were not very receptive to that strong um authoritative stance where where that where it just was simply not necessary and so he was able to he kind of hit a little bit of a brick wall with trying to tease that way mm -hmm. um he trying to tease that way also exposed kind of this um you know the lack of sufficiency in his content and he was able to kind of take steps back and recognize, well, you know, this isn't how people should be communicated mm -hmm. with, right? And so mm -hmm. that's part of the, having that 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 interaction with them, trying to just really bring the, you know, to humanize the students. It's like this this is not how you talk to students because this isn't how you talk to people. This isn't how you like to be communicated with, yeah. you know. And so this was a student who was a little bit older had children and he's like, well, you know, I talk to my teens like this and that. And it's like, well, you know, one, you're not these children's father. Yeah. 
you know, and they don't see you in that authoritative mm -hmm. figure. And but they don't see you every that day. There's no relationship there to support it. They don't know that you unconditionally love them and you're doing this in your parenting style. So, yeah. Exactly. And, and, and oftentimes that position only works when you have the means to inflict certain punishments that call, that, that kind of go along with that, right? Mm -hmm. You know, do this or you're grounded. Mm -hmm. But when you have students in a youth development center or juvenile detention center, when it comes to consequences, oftentimes they're close to the end of the road. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like you yeah. can't, there's only so much you can do, so you can't use punishment as a crutch. And that's one of the things that uh, came up with the students as well, where their idea of discipline um, really shifted, where discipline initially is, you know, harsh, we're going to sit you out to the side. Um, and, they, and they're able to do that, right? Yeah. They've been in elementary schools where kids being a little too goofy, all go sit to the side, they put their head down, they come back, better mm -hmm. behave. But these students, there is no detention. There's no call your parents. There's no after school. There's no go to the principal's office. There's teach better, you know, create a more engaging activity. And so we kind of force them um, to, to, to really look inward at themselves and kind of say, okay, what can I do to improve? And they rose to the occasion. They, they actually did that really well and were able to say, hey, if I actually, if I have a student who's not participating, I can simply ask them why they're not participating. Like that was kind of like one of the breakthrough moments mm -hmm. of, of one of, of the lessons where, you know, God pointed to say, like, hey, you know, they're not participating. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, well, just go ask them why they're not participating, you know, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. in doing so, you get understand. So, oh, OK, that's manageable, yeah. you know, or, you know, this is something I'm dealing with or this is something that's a little bit out of my control. Let me continue to teach the rest of the students in the class until this student is, is in a position to uh, kind of join the conversation. So they, they made a lot of leaps and bounds forward in their philosophies, students who went from I've never been exposed to this population of students to like. I really love working with this population of students and, you know, even one student who felt a, who felt like they intentionally wanted to work with students from diverse backgrounds simply because they saw some of the, you know, insufficient practices that students of, of you know, that in marginalized communities often see. And she's like, I just want to do better because I get to learn from them. They get to learn from me, and I enjoy them. I get to enjoy people that I've never really even had a chance to uh, communicate with. Yeah. So, in so in one of the uh, lines that you had, you said it was more of an inauguration than a graduation. So, can you relate this back to culturally responsive pedagogy and academic success, cultural competency, and critical consciousness? Because that was that was interesting to me, and and I think you you do a great job of not overstating it. In, in the sense that, hey, one class isn't just going to make these uh, pre-service teachers 100% fully culturally responsive. Gloria Latson billings is going to you know do a research paper on them kind of thing. So how does this all relate back to CRP? Exactly. That's, you know, one of the things that I had to realize is that no one person um, can bear the brunt of social injustice on their shoulders, nor can one class, one research paper, one theory, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I try to do is to, to just create a space in which to, to start to build pieces. I think that sometimes when we are teaching a social justice oriented class, culturally relevant class, especially when it's that one and done type of class, 
it's either it's either insufficient or it comes so hard that it turns the students off. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I recognize while doing this work is while I'm trying to teach uh, these pre-service teachers to teach in ways that are culturally relevant, I have to teach in a way that's culturally relevant to them. So, mm-hmm. be I, you know, being a, a black educator, teaching a majority white students, if I come with unadulterated social justice conversation that I might be able to enjoy with colleagues or at a conference or in a, in a paper, not only may that go over their head, it could potentially turn them off from the process because they don't have any context on which to to build it. You know, even for me, I don't have a passion for social justice because I read about it. I have a passion for social justice because I grew up as a marginalized individual in marginalized communities and didn't even know that things were different until I got to college and graduate school and saw, wow, things really are different. Mm-hmm. And now I'm thinking, okay, I want to advocate for individuals like myself. And so without that context, I don't know where I would stand on social justice, you know? Yeah. And so when I'm looking at my students and, um, you know, they, they may share different religious, political affiliations, grew up in a different space. Um, I want to be able to, I'd rather be able than able to have a, the smallest taste of what I'm talking about to be able to, um, to begin that journey rather than to turn them off from the whole process, knowing that regardless, they're most likely going to graduate in a year and they're most likely going to get a job. So it's like, I'm teaching students who are, you know, juniors going on seniors and it's like, they're going to graduate. They're going to get jobs. They're going to be in front of students of diverse populations. The research shows they probably are. So what can I do to simply give them something to, to take a step forward with? And so that's what I try to do when it relates back to the, the theory we're looking at their perception of student success. Did I tell them it was Gloria Lansing Billingsley? No. Did I tell them that it was social justice oriented? No. But I was able to help them see that for students to be successful, is uh, their expectation of the students plays a big role and their quality of content plays a big role. And so it's not explicitly linked um, in the context, but each part of uh, this particular theory that we're looking at here being CRP to give a very um, introductory level version of it, not only for their for their good, but for me being an early uh, faculty member trying to, you know, establish my practices, my mindset um, in a way where they can benefit from it and allowing the setting itself to help facilitate some of that. Yeah. And, and Mara Simon at Springfield has a has a great research line on on what you brought up there of a, you know, a person of color teaching in a predominantly white institution. Now she's done a lot of that work at the at the high school level of high school teachers and you know elementary school teachers teaching in those and 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 it it is and she's she's come on the podcast and talked about this that there is a different navigation that has to happen in what you talk about how you talk about it and so um, but let me let me ask you this and kind of in wrapping this up in the very end of your paper you talked about how PEEP programs have a responsibility to contribute to the communities within which they are located. And I couldn't agree with that more. Um, can you talk about what the implications of this is and how PEAT programs could um, put these types of programs that are pushing culturally responsive 
pedagogy and providing opportunities for pre-service teachers to teach in a, you know, non-traditional setting? Sure. Um, if I could leave some takeaways, I definitely would say, even connecting to the, the point that you brought up from the paper about this being um, more of an inauguration than a graduation, to strategically place experiences like these throughout the entire uh, program. If we wait and kind of let it be this big capstone end of your time experience, I don't think it has enough opportunity um, all the time to take root, especially given the limitations of uh, the different resources and areas that we have access to. Um, additionally, I, I, I think not only should it be strategic place earlier in, in programs if you're able to do these things, but to be placed consistently through, right, to continuously mm -hmm. reinforce the ideas that we're talking about. I think that when you do have areas of marginalized communities, they're oftentimes in positions where receiving quality educational opportunities for their students is welcomed, right? So kind of reaching out, if we're teaching about social justice, we're teaching about marginalized communities, look to see where the nearest areas um, or concentrations of marginalized populations may be and see where you add value. And so rather than kind of designing a, a program based on, um, you know, theories or, or what we want our students to learn, we can create these programs based on the needs of the communities that we're actually in so that it can be not only beneficial for, you know, our research and our teaching, but for our students learning and, and most importantly, uh, for the actual lives that we're that we're researching about, yeah, um, I think that's really important. And and specifically with the use of non-traditional settings, really, um, it, I think it was kind of hard for me to to process being with my students in that space. But take advantage of the various nuances that some of these non-traditional uh, settings provide. And so a lot of my students talked about this idea of feeling like less structural pressure if there's smaller class sizes where there's opportunity for more conversation between student and teacher or um, just less pressure right so like when i was at the development center i wasn't trying to bombard my students with a lot of benchmarks and check marks that they needed to hit but gave them the freedom to move fluidly in that space right to have those connections to have those conversations and, and to also have fun you know nobody really wants to do a lot of things that aren't enjoyable mm -hmm. and oftentimes social justice work is is laborious but we have the opportunity in physical education to play and connect and develop relationships so i think non-traditional settings provide a beautiful opportunity to do so yeah i totally agree dr dixon i really appreciate you coming on that was that was a great conversation and even a better read um i i highly suggest this paper uh, I think we have a long way to go in integrating culturally responsive pedagogy in certain areas. There are some great people out there doing great work. Um, but I think in this paper, you showed a really good path that can be implemented in a variety of communities and down the street from a lot of the universities that we teach at. So uh, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and doing the work that you're doing. Absolutely. Thanks. And so for those of you who want to read the full article, uh, you can check out the full citation in the comments section. And uh, thanks to Alba Rodriguez for her help in producing these podcasts. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you're still listening, you're probably really into health and physical education. So I'm going to use this opportunity to pitch our master's program to you if you don't have your master's degree yet. 
Um, our 100% online master's degree program we offer at George Mason is affordable. You can do it while teaching, and it's high quality. Um, Mason was listed as one of the top 50 universities under 50 years old in the world. Our education department was ranked in the top 10 nationally for the online master's degree program in curriculum and instruction. The master's degree uh, revolves around your teaching. So you'll use assignments from the classes to immediately apply research and best practices to your classes. You'll be part of a tight-knit cohort of health and physical education professionals who are passionate about teaching. You're also going to get an opportunity to interact with students in other content areas. So if you're interested, you can email me, look me up on Twitter, or you can go on the hpewebsite.com under study with us and watch a video that I've made.